that will be listening to this message. Father, we pray that you would bless their hearts, instruct them, Father, in the things that your Spirit wants to teach them. Father, we also pray for all the Bible-believing churches around the tri-state area, asking, Lord, your blessing upon them, and that you would raise up a mighty army that loves you and wants to serve you. And so, Father, we want to commit this time to your loving hands, and we pray for your protection from the COVID that is going around. We ask, Lord, that you help each and every one of us to uh, practice the social distancing to whatever that means in the various cases, situations. And Lord, uh, we just want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you have shown to us, for the changes that you have made in our lives and continue to make. For you have started a good work in us, and you have promised us that you will see that work through unto completion. So we thank you and commit this time now to your loving hands. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. Well, first of all, let's look at some names. And by the way, back on the table back there, there are some chronological one-year programs that you can uh, read the Bible through chronologically. It's all laid out that way. And then also outlines for this series are back there for anyone that wants to study this out more. Because as I said last week, we're going to touch on a lot of verses, but we're not going to read the verses or at least not all of them, because there's way too many to get through, and you'd be here for a number of months listening to me. So, first of all, the names. One of the names of uh, the devil is Satan, and that means accuser or adversary. He is an accuser of our brethren, as we would see in the book of Job when he went before God, and God says, Look at Job is righteous man. And he said, well, why shouldn't he be? You've given him so much, you've blessed his life. Why shouldn't he be? And then, of course, we know the story. God gave him, God gave the devil uh, limited power over Job's life. And all those different disasters happened. And yet Job remained true to God. But Satan was accusing. He's an adversary. And in 1 Chronicles 21.1, it says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now that was something that God had forbidden. And in verse 7 of that same chapter, uh, God struck Israel. He struck Israel as a result of David's sin and David acknowledges that it was a sin before God to do what he had done. And then in Job chapter 1, verses, uh, <clears throat> Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, and this is what we read. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered God, answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And put forth, but put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> And as you go through that, you note that uh, Satan took all of Job's children, took all of his possessions, his home, everything that he had, took everything. But he did not touch his wife, a little side note. Because when you're married, you're one. And so Job could touch the children and stuff, but he couldn't touch, or excuse me, Satan could touch everything that Job had, but he could not touch Job, which included his wife. So, the accuser, the adversary. Another name is Abaddon in the Hebrew, or Apollyon in the Greek, and that means destroyer, the angel of the abyss as in Revelation 9 and verse 11. And these things, as, as we touch on these different names and the descriptions, understand, don't just take that as information, but understand that you have a real enemy. And if you do not take heed to that enemy, he'll take you. Okay. Someone once said, uh, don't play around with the adversary. Don't play around with him because if you do, you fall right into his grip. He is real. Another name is Beelzebub, meaning the prince of demons. Matthew 12, 24. So he's the prince. He's got High ranking. And the fourth name for him is Belial, meaning worthless. 2 Corinthians 6.15. He's absolutely worthless. And, you know, I can't think of a worse thing, really, than to be worthless before the Lord. Or even amongst people. There was a gentleman in the Old Testament, I can't remember where it, where it is right off the top of my head, but he says, uh, 
It spoke of this man, it says, and he died to no one's regret. Imagine that. You die and there's not a person on earth that cares about the fact that you died. What a pitiful state. Consider the descriptions of the devil. He's the prince of demons, 1224. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2.2. And it states, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, works, that now works in the children of disobedience. And as we have already mentioned, <clears throat> in these last days, you're going to see him working more and more and more. And though some causes even out there in the world might be good, he'll take them and twist them and pervert them. And we see the riots and everything, and some of the demonstrations are great that are going on for equal rights. But then the, the murders and the looting and everything else that take place are not right. And so we need to be aware that there is an enemy in our midst. He's also described as the prince of this world in John 12, 31 and John 14, verse 30. He's the God of this world or this age. And again, as we draw near to the end, he's a master of deception. So we need to be alert. Alert to this book here. What does it say? God has given us the battle plan. God has described to us what sort of person we ought to be becoming as we grow. He's given us the marks, if you will, of what someone should look like, not physically, but spiritually. You know, when Christians first received their name Christian, it was not a, a necessarily a, a good compliment. But they were called that because, first of all, they followed Christ. But second of all, they, they aped him. By that I mean they sought to be like him. Okay? Like him in his character. You know, anybody can fill a pulpit. All you have to do is maybe get some schooling or be trained by someone else. Anybody can be a pastor. But not anybody or not everybody's got the character that fills the pulpits. Brian and I, we are servants. Servants to you guys. We're not above you. God has given us a calling. And we're looking to fulfill that calling. But we're no different, no better than any of us. And if we start to think so, then we're yielding ourselves to our adversary. He's also called the tempter. 
in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 and 1 Corinthians 7, 5. He's the tempter. And you know, every one of us, we've got our weakness, do we not? Some of us may be insecure in who we are. Some really struggle with their physical appearance. And yet God said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Some struggle over addictions, pornography, alcohol, drugs. Some struggle just with their eyes. Looking and undressing women, maybe. Or women undressing men with their eyes and in their mind. Or pornography, a multi-billion dollar industry. He knows where your weakness is. So if you understand that, and you get into a situation where you're tempted, realize right away where it's coming from and who it is behind it. He's the accuser of the he is the accuser of our brothers in Revelation 12:10. He accuses our brothers. You know, we've talked about things like gossip and murmuring and backbiting. And he will bring up anything he can. Get the thoughts in your mind to judge someone. To be critical. And again, we'd fall into his hands. He's a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44. He's a liar. And he's a deceiver. If we remember... Back in the garden, he brought up a question. And God had given instructions to Adam and Eve. And he says, hath God said? You know, anytime you get a question, your mind goes into a chemical response. And in so many ways, you can't avoid thinking about it. If I preach at you, or to you, or share with you, you can opt to ignore it. But if I ask you a question, the question will linger. Because we were made that way. And Satan says, hath God said that in, if, in, when, and let me read that to you, just... Let me find the verse here. And he says, the woman, the woman answered, you know, Satan had confronted her there, and the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden we may eat. That was true. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, God said nothing about touching it. 
He said, you can't eat from it. So she was already deceived and added to what God said. And sometimes we can be guilty of that. And then the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that appeals to their pride. And he appeals to our pride the same way. And he says that your eyes will be opened, which is true. That wasn't a lie. But what he didn't tell them was the other part of that, that you will know good and evil, but you will no longer have power to live a life that's good. You'll know good and evil, but you're no longer free to follow after God because it'll make a separation between you and God, as it says in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. So he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. In the description of him in uh, Genesis 3.1 and 2 Corinthians 11.3 refers to him as a serpent. However, that is uh, translated maybe sly and attacking most people that get bit by a serpent they don't see it coming he's described as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11:13 to 15 for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light so he can appear good he can appear good he can appear to fight for good causes to get us involved, to get us maybe distracted from what's really important. Or to just plain deceive us. He's a roaring lion, First Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walk, walks about Seeking whom he may de devour. That's you. He's looking to destroy you and me. He's looking to destroy us, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually. He's looking to destroy our testimony before the world. so that our impact is no longer there. We remember the story of Nero when he wanted to know what made Christians so brave to be burned at the stake, if you will, light up his chariot track as he raced around and they burned to death. And he sought to find out what was their secret that made them so different and the guy that did his investigation came back and said, I don't know what the secret is, but oh, how they love one another. 
Could that be said of everyone here today? Oh, how they love one another. Remember, we're all beggars. And we found bread. And our goal is to share that bread with others. So we were all hopeless and helpless. And when we came to Christ, he created a new person. You're a new creation. And we're to continue to grow as we walk through this thing we call life. We are to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. We are to understand our adversary. If you don't understand him, you'll surely fall to him. It's like you ask any combat soldier that's been out there and seen the battlefield. And if they don't get trained to understand their enemy, the enemy will get them. In Revelation 9 and verse 11, it says, He is the king of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. He's the great, he is the great dragon, the serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels with him. So I, I hope as we're going through this and looking at this, that you're starting to get a little bit of an idea of who our arch enemy is. And in uh, another week or so, we're going to be looking at how he works in our lives, his tactics, if you will. In Colossians 1.13, it says, For he, Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness, which is Satan's domain, and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. He is the power of darkness. And you know, there's a great fascination with that in the world today. More and more people are looking into occultic things because they see that Christianity, as they understand it, is dead. And why is it dead in their eyes? Because they don't see a working model. They don't see ones that have really been transformed, if you will, who will lay down their lives for others, who will sacrifice, who will be thoughtful of others. You know, we, li we send out prayer requests, you know, for people like Mark Loney, who's in Iowa City, uh, with some pretty good health situation going on. By good, I mean bad. But he's going through uh, some serious stuff, and we send it out in a prayer request, as we do with many others. 
how many of us really pray for him? He's like a wounded brother on the battlefield. In the service, the motto was, we, no man left behind. No man left behind. You do whatever it takes to get him and take him back to safety or get him on a, a chopper to get him out of the war zone. In Christianity, sometimes we forget that. Somebody quits coming, no follow-up, no finding out what's going on if they're struggling, or even if they've died. Who would know unless we accidentally hear? You know, this is a real challenge for us, and I hope you're uncomfortable with it. Because if you're uncomfortable with it, maybe you'll see the real need to do something about it. Others might leave and say, good message, pastor. I didn't care for that one. But it's going to get worse, beloved. It's going to get a lot worse. Before we're taken up in the rapture. So we better be aware. Consider the character and the purpose of the devil. The essential character of the devil is wicked, evil. Stand against God and us with an icy hatred, if you will, that is beyond any earthly analogy. In Matthew 13, 19, it states that he is a thief. The devil steals the word of God from the hearts of hearers. It says in that verse, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and steals away that which was sown in his heart. You know, they say that what you hear that by the time you leave the service, you probably at best will remember 20%. We make outlines available. We make the sermons available online because we don't want you to forget. We want you to study these things out. And no, like the Berean Christians in the book of Acts, it says they searched the scriptures so that they might know what is truth. But they won't be deceived. The devil steals the word from us. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, we need to understand that he's very subtle. He beguiled Eve, Satan beguiled Eve. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his craftiness, he's sly, he's subtle. You know, and sometimes we think that uh, he's going to come, like I mentioned, I think last week, 
that he's going to come and it's going to be real obvious who he is. Think of all those that went down to, uh, I think it was Guana, with Jimmy Jones. Remember? Did those people want to be deceived? Did they all want to die? Or David Koresh down in Waco? Did all those people want to die or were they deceived? Don't be unaware, brothers and sisters, that he is subtle. And that any one of us can be deceived. That's why we state it and restate it and restate it. Got to spend time here. You got to be in the Word. God has given us this book, and we think, when you think about it, in the Old Testament there, they didn't have the Word of God laid out. They didn't have what we have laid out for us so that we can not only come to, into a relationship with the living God by believing in the fact that he was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again the third day, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. But that we might understand the history of the world. That we might understand relationships you know the bible's a book of relationships from genesis to the end of revelation our relationships this way and our relationships this way he speaks to us about how to relate with the saved and he speaks to us about how we relate with those that do not know christ so you have god at the head the lost and the saved, to his two outstretched arms. And you and I are down at his feet, kneeling before him. He's a murderer in John eight forty four. He says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, for he was a murderer from the beginning. You know, I think about that and how drug wars and everything else that are going on, probably the most, one of the most dangerous places today in the United States is Chicago. Certain parts of Chicago, at least. And I think, if I remember correctly, over the 4th of July, they had unbelievable count of those that were wounded and those that were executed, if you will, or killed. One doesn't have to look far. You pick up the paper on any, any given day and you read all the different articles. Just read the titles. That'd be enough to put you into deep depression if you didn't know Christ. But you see how the wickedness of the world is increasing and how the adversary is there to destroy. As we mentioned earlier, he's a liar. 
Whenever he speaks, John 8, 44, whenever he speaks, he speaks from his own nat nature, for he is a liar. And he is the father of lies. He's a deceiver. Revelation 12, 9. That's his character. And Satan, who deceives the whole world. He feels contempt for us to the extreme degree. And there's nothing that he would rather do than destroy anybody who is looking to follow after Christ. And I'm sure if any, anyone here that's been a Christian for a while, you've seen ones that have come into our mists. Friends that you know, whether in this church or other churches, that have come to Christ. And six months down the line, they're back into the world. Nothing has changed. I've sometimes wondered, wondered, is that, Lord, because of the model that we portray? Is it the model that I portray before others that would turn them off to Christ? What can I do? Or better question, what can you do, Lord, to change me that I would be a better model of a Christian for the world to see? Also, I'd like to say that we should never, ever, ever feel sorry for the devil. I heard a Christian say that uh, probably a year ago or so. And we both sort of chuckled about it at first, and then I thought about it after we had departed, and I thought, no. He said he feels sorry for the devil that because he made one mistake, he's going to spend eternity in hell. And I, <laughs> afterwards I thought, no, 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 no. He didn't make one mistake. He has an attitude of heart. And everything springs forth from the heart, doesn't it? According to Mark 7, everything springs out of the heart. Murders, envy, drunkenness, carousing. You, you could go on with that list. It comes out of the heart because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So he looks to destroy you and your testimony for Christ by whatever means he can. Through temptation, through breaking up your marriage, through dividing your church, through destroying friendships, and sometimes disease. We're going through a period of that right now, aren't we? And people get upset and they actually go to fists over whether someone is wearing a mask or trying to get into a store. Or you could ask Pete what it's like. He's a cop down in Monticello area. And I'm sure he's seen some things that shows the wickedness of man's heart. He has his own personality. 
Many do not believe in a personal devil. They only recognize evil, tendencies of the flesh and vices as human weaknesses. And though we might have what you would call weaknesses, they are really tendencies to do evil. Because that is the nature that we came from. And even after we're Christian, we know oftentimes what to do. But we don't draw on the power to do it. Okay? We have all power. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, in us if we're a, a true Christian. And so you have all the power there is greater than the atom bomb or any other such thing living within you, the Holy Spirit. But we oftentimes yield to our tendencies. Jesus speaking again to unbelieving Jews in John 8, 44, he says, you are of your father the devil and his desires and the desires of your father you will do. Now, if you're a Christian, you have a new father, don't you? Don't you? Let me know you're awake. We have a real adversary. We have a real father. And when we yield to our flesh, we're in so many ways yielding back to the uh, Lord's arch enemy, Satan. And by the way, he's not a force. You know, with the Star Wars movies, we hear of the force. May the force be with you. Satan is not a force. A force does not have personality. A force cannot speak. As we saw in Job, he speaks. He talks to God, accusing Job of evil, and an influence cannot talk. In the story of the temptation of Christ, in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, Jesus was dealing with a real person, an enemy, a tricky, subtle foe. Imagine with that, he'd been on a 40-day fast. For those of us that have ever dieted, you know that uh, day one is hard. Day two gets a little harder. There comes a time when all of a sudden you're into that groove, if you will, and uh, you can manage it fairly well. But don't you think that after 40 days you'd be a little hungry? And we see where Satan comes up and he... He attempts to deceive Jesus and to appeal to Jesus' flesh in Matthew 4. 
And he does so the same way that Satan appealed to Adam and Eve, and the same way that John expresses it in 1 John. First of all, he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here, Satan's tempting him and says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Unless you understand the one who's speaking it. The one who is appealing to our flesh. And then he goes on, he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So first of all, you see the lust of the flesh, and then you see the pride of life. And then last, he says, he showed him a mountain and all the kingdoms of the wor world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. The same three areas of temptation. All, I believe all of our temptations come through one of those three gates. You see the same thing if you look in Genesis when uh, Satan confronted Eve. Don't the apple look good? Lust of the eyes. It'll make you like God. Pride of life. And the third one I just draw a blank on. But John also addresses it in 1 John. And so we are tempted through one of those three gates. Satan is a real person possessing life, possessing intelligence, willpower, and feelings. Stop and think about that. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's had your whole life to study you. And he knows your areas to which to tempt you in. Well, we're going to pick up on this next week. Like I said earlier, we have uh, on the table back there, we have a copy of the, the entire outline that I'm going through with you all. And uh, if you want to study it more, pick up a copy of that. We also have uh, read through the Bible in a year chronologically. It shows you how all the different books, like the Minor Prophets, they're all listed at the end of the Old Testament, but they all fit in in different places throughout the Old Testament. And so anyhow, those are back there if you want a copy of that. But right now, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for our time together. Father, I pray that we would not blow this off, but that we would take heed and understand who it is that is behind all the wickedness in the world. Who our enemy is and how he functions and what he wants to do to destroy us. 
So, Father, we thank you for our time together, and we pray that each one of us, Father, would understand this more deeply after we complete this series and when we went into it. And we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.